0: This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host, Paul, or, or is it Marcus, or wait, is it Hank? I think it's Hank. You may feel my hand gripping
1: yours and look into my eyes, but I simply am not here. Welcome to Death by DVD. Slashers, continue because it's slasher month. That's how we decided to celebrate October
0: and this is the last of the regular shows before you get into our uh, everyday episodes and woo daddy wait till you get to the everyday episodes you're just gonna enjoy that because the the theme I picked for uh, the slasher movies we'll be talking about then is just just absolute dog shit so enjoy.
1: I think there's maybe two really good mood. Oh, okay, really good is a bold. We'll face just go lie. ahead and
0: say the theme right now, which is uh, after tonight's episode. Which tonight's episode is late '90s, early '2000s uh, slasher films. As you can tell, we've kind of done a little progression here. And uh, after that, when we do the uh, daily episodes, it's going to be how slasher movies killed the slasher genre. Because every single one I picked is totally terrible how slashers committed suicide now we have a name perfect we have a whole name for the gimmick the first we will be talking about tonight is a movie that is debatable as a slasher film can say it is an art film you can say it's a comedy you can say it's numerous things but it holds its roots deeply in slasher films and funnily enough it's Based on a book that was created in the 1980s. So I'm sure slashers were a theme when, God, why can't I remember his name now? Brett Easton Ellison. That's his fucking name.
1: But that was not, in fact, how you say Brett Easton Ellis.
0: When he wrote the book American Psycho in the 80s, it's a commentary on yuppie culture, it's a commentary on 80s culture, on money on the vacuous nature of what was going on in reagan era economics but it's also a slasher concept as well well a bit of it too is biographical that brett kind of saw a lot of himself
1: in patrick bateman and not so much the psychotic serial killing aspect of it but he was really buying into consumerism at the time he kind of caught himself i guess as the kids call it becoming a sellout and it was weird i mean you really want to give a great credit to, sure, this is a movie about a killer on Wall Street, a serial killer on Wall Street, how great. But the driving force really for the, the creation of the novel, at least, can't speak for, for Mary Heron's film, but for the novel it was really his realization of selling out and how it affects people and how you just really want to fit in and his struggle to perhaps fit in in life and in the 1980s. And, of course, every aspect of 80s culture is visible within the novel and the film itself, from the club kids to Reaganomics the rise of the the new wave of feminism. It, it covers a lot of weird grounds, and it's considerably deeper than I think most people give it credit for, novel and film.
0: And we've both read the novel. Uh, I read the novel maybe 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. Uh, I read it for a project, um, because I was doing a custom art piece for somebody, and I just wanted to get every aspect of American Psycho, because that's what the uh, the theme was, the focus. And I read the book in one sitting, and um, I'd seen the movie first, saw the movie before I read the book, go back, read the book. I actually enjoy the movie more than I do the book. I have my reasons, and mostly the reasons are, good God, is it long and drawn out? I get what he was going for, most definitely. I understand the fact, like, Patrick Bateman in the novel, every time he comes across a new character, every time he comes across even a character that has been introduced before, he describes in detail, down to the socks that this person is wearing, who made what piece of their clothing, because that is what's important to him. The, the, like this consumer bullshit, the, um, like Versace and all this other shit, that, that's what's really important when you, he's encountering someone. But after about like two or three chapters of this, you get real tired of reading a full-page explanation of how every character is dressed in every possible like scene in the, in the book. So it's just like, all right, more about the fucking socks. I just don't care. But that also lends to the credibility of creating a character sketch for this character, as well as when we get into the the violent aspects of it, the serial killing, the psychotic aspects of it. He does a lot of the same descriptions of his actions, so you get really in-depth into uh, the the dark nature of his character and just kind of how empty he is and that all these little details add up to nothing to him. But again, it gets a little long and drawn out. Uh, any murder scene gets described in two or three pages, like very in-depth descriptions of how a uh, a tongue gets slapped up against a wall and slowly slides its way down and a full page about th- that kind of stuff. And it's just like, I get the point. And when you visualize that, as far as a film goes, those aspects can be visual and it can uh, it, it works better for me personally. And I think Mary Heron as a director really accomplished some of the impossible of taking these ideas and putting it into a very palatable film product at the end of the day where she, you get these, like, You get the character across, you get um, how empty he is across within the film, but we don't have to go into all this minute detail that is utterly irrelevant at a certain point.
1: A lot of it definitely is captured and I think translated perfectly from the book into a much compact size. I mean, even the very beginning of the movie, you've got some of these outrageous meals that uh, the Mater d' and the waiters are telling people. and. It they're just I, I couldn't even quote something they're so exquisite some really wild animal made into meatloaf and so uh, with special streaks. and that was something too in the eighties that you really had this boom of everything has to be really really unique and really really expensive and New York was starting to change it's a completely different place now but the districts were starting to change the club scene was starting to change the seventies had completely disappeared the club kids scene drugs
0: Reaganomics the whole the whole culture had changed but I think you end up getting a but, cool not to interrupt you, but you, I did, before you get off the food aspect of it, one of the important things that I found out throughout the film is when we are descri- like doing the description of the menu, that there's this very intricate thing that some artist has put together for these people sitting at a table. And like emphatically, every single character orders something, but they pick the shit out of it apart well, can you do it this way, this way, and this way? I know you spent all this time making, crafting something perfect, but can you break it down? And it says something to the characters that are presented, these empty fucking consumer assholes, that no matter what, I will never be happy with whatever you give me. Let me customize it to, to my specifications, please.
1: Well, specifically in the book, I can't speak for everyone, but Patrick actually never eats. He ends up getting absolutely disgusted by how beautiful the food is how how and you just said an artist brings out the food literally he sees it as that way and it disgusts him it makes him angry and he won't eat he begets uh becomes to get ill but i think you get a really interesting look at you and i and and, and what we're kind of into here because a lot of the things that you i'll, I'll give you it g- does get really tiring every single time a new character is introduced and they he, he goes from detail to detail to detail but what i really appreciate about it in the long run is how the monotony almost places you inside of Patrick Bateman or inside of that world because you become so tiresome keeping up with what this person's wearing and the small maybe one or no details that have changed. And you, I, I would find myself flipping back to somebody else's description to see, are they really all the same? And to me, it gave me almost like this demonic feeling of their legion. Um, You know, to, to, to bring up biblical quotes here, we are legion, we are many, because they all look alike, they're all vice presidents, they all have the same glasses, they all have the same business cards, they all fuck each other's girlfriends, everyone literally is perfect. They all have great hair, great tans, they all are kind of based on little 1980s Donald Trumps. Everyone just doesn't care. They're all very soulless, plastic people. But what I really have, I mean, and I think you really dro- drove it forward, the appreciation of detail that Mary Herron held with all of this, with all of this kind of banal detail that just just doesn't go away with the Brad Easton Ellis novel she managed to just grab it and hold on to it and just in a flash in a second pay not even really an homage but give enough respect to show you the same feelings that the novel was supposed to represent but with her own style and her own style is just it's great it's framed great it looks great and it, it's it's representative of everything I think she managed to encompass everything from that book and really really make a, a wholesome product.
0: Well, when you take something from the page and take it to the screen, you're able to truncate these ideas and put them across in a much more compact, easier way of understanding. And I think she does that beautifully of getting that idea across, but not getting so locked into all of this detail that it just becomes kind of... it. Because in the book, you just start getting lost lost in all these details to where it's just like... And that's part of the purpose of the novel as well, is to get lost in the details because that's what everybody's doing, but it doesn't make for the
1: like the best read. I think, too, some of that really helps when it comes to the novel for making you almost disassociate, to give you again that that fear of, is this really happening? Am I really reading this right? And that's kind of where I think Patrick Bateman's mindset is because there is no reality. There really is no Patrick Bateman. There is no... Anyone, And it's not just cycling or centering on him. Of course, he is the topic of the book and the movie, maybe. It might not even be Patrick Bateman. No, it's so disassociative. I think you're supposed to be kind of left in a fugue. And again, you know, Mary, Mary managed to do the exact same thing. I think the end of American Psycho is just as beautiful as the book because it's like, shit, there's no exit. There's, <laughs> this is not an exit. There's no way that this is going to stop now. No one cares.
0: And what I do find kind of interesting about the choice of director in this and choice of actor because uh, Christian Bale was the absolute perfect choice for the lead in this film to play Patrick Bateman. But Mary Heron is a woman – I and mean, it's a distinctly sort of male perspective uh, story that they're telling. So to be able to take that and be on the complete outside of what this character is, I think that actually lends to the credibility of the story that's being told because it's being told from an outsider's perspective, but also being able to encompass all those. That, because as a man, like if you had a male director who's like even a little bit closer, uh, like a straight straight cis male director, that's close to the character of Patrick Bateman. It's almost like, I feel like that director would almost make excuses at points for Patrick Bateman. She makes no excuses. She like literally like almost like an alien staring into this fucked up world and just observing it and picking apart each and every detail and showing for what it really is this very horrible reality that all these characters have uh, put themselves in and not even that like most of them don't even know what kind of a horrible reality their lives are because that's really the impetus of the patrick bateman character is he's the psycho killer out of all of them but he's also the one that almost has some sort of Repentance for the lives that they lead because they're all like kind of trapped in this this Wall Street lifestyle and nobody even thinks about it. He's the actually one who's interpreting and thinking about what he's doing in this world and how kind in. of horrible it is. And that makes him want to rip that world apart. He's a protagonist and an antagonist all at the same time, which is kind of an interesting concept that isn't always looked at because a lot of people view this film as being. Very surface level, and they don't get into the minute detail of it. They don't get into the the philosophy of what these characters represent, and I think that's a real shame because that's really what the entire story is. They just get into like, ah, oh, Patrick Bateman, yeah, oh, Phil Collins. Isn't that funny? It's like, no, like I don't think you're understanding. Like, look at you, like look at your current president's son, Donnie Jr. And every time he's popped up on my fucking television screen, I'm just like. Why the f- hes Patrick Bateman! He is! Look at him! I,
1: I don't mean to interrupt you here. I don't think Brett said it to be clever, but hasn't he confirmed that Bateman was pretty much based on Donald Trump, that that's where he got the idea from? And throughout the movie, if you pay close enough attention, he's caked in spray tan. I mean, there's even a comment about his— or, or, God, I think it's um, the, the Jared Leto character. Where do you tan? I have a tanning bed at home. Blah, blah, blah. It's really in your face. I mean, if you can't see— Patrick Bateman and sit down and watch American Psycho and then look at the President of the United States of America, 45, and his family and not see that the, the two are one, That's that. you're more psychotic than Patrick Bateman. You you are part of the massive problem that we are having currently in the United States. Somebody please send help. For God's sake, somebody <laughs> please send help. S.O.S. Um, <laughs> We need your help, Olivia. Come on.
0: Jesus. Well, I mean, that's really, I mean, that's what we're dealing with right now is this like kind of resuscitation of 1980s trickle-down economics culture, that the almighty dollar is what's important. It's not like we, we literally got concentration camps on the borders. Uh, fuck everybody else. It's about the, like what I want and what I need. Oh, you don't want me to say the N-word? Well, that's you're infringing upon my freedom of speech. Why do you want to say it? Because you're telling me not to. So it's always just all about you and always what you want. And it has nothing to do with empathy, what other people, what's good for other people, what might be good for the community. Fuck all that. What's important is what I want every day of the week. Which you can, like, if you want to get into current political structure, that's, like, almost best represented by these, like, ridiculous boat parades that, like, Trump has been, like, all this Trump supporters have been having, like, we're just going to get on this boat and we're going to fly our flags and we're going to have a whole big parade. A boat. You mean something that you've taken a loan out or bought outright. Money that you're spending to have this recreational device. I'm sure you have plenty of recreational devices all around you. You have like probably a few cars, a motorcycle, an ATV, all this other bullshit that you're spending your money on. And you're complaining about having to like spend an extra $15 a week Weak in taxes, so somebody might actually ha- like not die of cancer at one point in their lives. Hmm. Boat parade. Yeah, great. Representative of, of your like your fan base there of just like disposable income culture. Fuck these people. I don't think it's entirely all on Reaganomics
1: and all on uh, one centered belief here. And and spare go with me with this. I think Bateman's a bit of a bleeding heart. And you've got the whole Sri Lanka scene toward the beginning of the movie, where they go to the uh, the more Art Deco restaurant, something that wasn't featured in the book, something solely created for the film, and they're uh, they're they're meeting with Evelyn's cousin and her Robert Smith looking boyfriend, and everyone's hanging out just in Thoreau and. They're all having dinner. The menu's in Braille, and he starts Justin Thoreau. He's, he's very agitated just by the Goths in general, and they're sort of the Soho art type. So they're representing a whole different class here than what you have with everyone, these, these Wall Street kind of schmuck guys. And he starts raving, like, what about Sri Lanka? What about the murders in Sri Lanka and all this? And Blah, 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 blah. blah. And Patrick brings up, he has this really just, just schmucky cover-all statement, but you can't have help but be captured by it of, well, what about the starving kids and we have to stop terrorism and the nuclear arms and the Russians in Afghanistan? And He, he just has this really...
2: We have to end apartheid for one and slow down the nuclear arms race, stop terrorism, and world hunger we have to provide food and shelter for the homeless and oppose racial discrimination and promote civil rights while also promoting equal rights for women we have to encourage a return to traditional moral values most importantly we have to promote general social concern
1: Political statement that you can see, and it doesn't matter if you're for Trump or Joe Biden, either person saying that it's just this kind of cover-all band-aid statement that makes you go, huh? Well, that's kinda alright. But that seems to be the approach that he takes genuinely throughout the movie of look at me, I have compassion, I care, I have feelings. I'm definitely not wearing a mask. I'm not actually well, totally I'm signaling
0: empty. that I have feelings. Do I actually have those feelings?
1: Virtue signaling as it's called these days. But just touching upon, um, before we get too deep into stuff, Mary Heron as a director. I think something, especially with a man directing this, I think men tend to think men are much more clever than they are, and they always have that heavy hand with it of, even if it's a man trying to do a strong female lead like James Cameron, there's always this heavy hand to it of, uh, yeah, you think you're really clever, you think you're doing something really, really helpful, and you're you're not you're mansplaining
0: you know well they also always like overly butch them up like even ripley is somewhat butched up they do let her have some vulnerability but i'd say a better character than that is sarah from day of the dead because she is vulnerable yet strong at the same time she has breakdowns she has contemplation of what she's doing is she doing the right thing is she doing the wrong thing but she is also able to like push out the fact that she is strong and, like, present that.
1: The whole thing, though, is baffling to me because every character should have strong and weak traits. Every character should have masculine and feminine traits. It shouldn't be defined by anything other than a spectrum of this character is either masculine or feminine, not male or female. Because half the time you get these role reversals and it's never handled right. It's it's just, again, a, a mansplaining sort of thing of, like, you're going with Ripley. You you tried to make it something completely different than it even was established as. You're trying to reestablish it as, well, I'm a man doing something good.
0: I don't see it. It just doesn't come out that way. The world that is presented was the real world. And when you look back on it, even in 2000, it looked very cartoonish, very much like created by disney in a way it just it does not seem like a a, a reality at all but that was reality it might be slightly heightened in this book slash film but it was absolute reality it like this is how people were and this is still kind of how people actually are well down to culture and maybe
1: socioeconomics and sociology and how the people act but there is a lot of just nonsense to the movie there's like one of the murders patrick commits there's somebody would have answered the door i mean you have somebody running down a very very expensive apartment complex screaming and a chainsaw is going off so there is definitely a suspended disbelief of is this happening is this reality and i think that too going back to to brett's novel is why there's so much fugue and why he so repetitively tells you and and I'll give you, it does get very, very tiring when it comes to knowing everyone's clothes. But what I really, really loved was how insane the meals kept getting. To the point at the very beginning of the movie when they're sitting down at a restaurant and you have someone telling you what the meals are. You can compose them in your mind. You can see them existing. But by the end of the book, it again is just another one of Patrick's delusions, how insane the meals get. And in the movie, it's a little bit that way. But I don't think the restaurant aspect was heavily focused upon. I really liked how Dorcia was handled because that kind of comes off like the best place in the world. No, the, if you go to Dorcia, you are the coolest person ever, and they never show it because there is no real embodiment of the next level of these people. I mean, we think Patrick Bateman's really, really cool. We think he has a great apartment. We think he has a great body and great hair. We think he's suave. He has money. But when anybody else talks about Patrick Bateman, they talk about how he's a weasel and a nerd and he has no backbone and he has no spine. So who is Patrick? We, we don't know. We never get to know. We are only exposed to things through his point of view. So the more and more uh, almost OCD, more obsessive he gets about things, the more obsessive the story gets with explaining things and it becomes repetitive in its nature, I think, really is to help deliver to you the the thought process of this very dangerous insane man but who the fuck is he he's anybody he's you he's me he's he's everybody
0: well as you find out at the end of the movie nobody knows who anybody is literally nobody knows like they all confuse each other they all have the same fucking dress they all have the same haircut they all have the same personality and no one understands anybody they're all just they're almost like they're all npcs they're all just these like Characters created. No one has any actual I mean, personality. Really,
1: they're just legion. I mean, just to take that that reference from Luke. I think it's the passage Luke, the passage, the chapter Luke from the Bible that uh, you know Jesus encounters a demon and it says to him, I-, "I am legion, for we are many." These guys are just legion for what? I mean, you get. There's a scene between Patrick and his fiancee, played by wreath Witherspoon, playing a character named Evelyn, where they're in a limousine and he's just trying to enjoy. Huey Lewis in the News, or somebody, I don't know, I don't think it was Huey. I think it's Simply Irresistible's blasting at that scene, and she's trying to talk to him about getting married, and he quickly says, I've got to work, I can't take off work, and she lets you know here that his father owns most of the company. He doesn't have to do anything, and he snaps at her, I'm just trying to fit in. So everything, literally, in Patrick Bateman's life is, is a mask. He doesn't have any identity, he's rich, he doesn't have to do anything, and if you're a fan of Brett's work, you'll know even more about the family because, I mean, there's a film translation of it. But we get a little bit deeper that, you know, his mother is – does she have dementia or is she just insane? I can't remember if she's insane or has dementia. And his brother's a little shit. His dad's a dick. His family life is whatever. I mean, let's not do the whole Jeffrey Dahmer thing. His family life was bad, and that's why he killed people. He killed people because he's a psychotic I mean his, fuck. his
0: brother is um, – oh, what is his name? He's the character from Rules of Attraction. That's Patrick Bateman's brother. It's Sean, right? Sean Bateman. Sean Bateman. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, so like that should explain, like, really what's going on in that family. Like, that's some, some interesting shit. <laughs> but
1: I mean, I, I too, I don't want to add any sympathy or layers of like, let's feel bad to him, bad for him because bad things happen to him. He's a psychotic, and he, he. It's not so much that he wants help, he wants to be stopped. He knows what he's doing is absolutely insane. But Patrick lets us know that there is nothing there, and something really clever and something useful to getting, I mean, I guess really to say it, getting to know Patrick Bateman.
2: There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman. Some kind of abstraction. But there is no real me. Only an entity. Something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze... And you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable. I simply am not there.
1: Is watching what he does throughout the movie and what, what Mary Heron allowed you to see, like, Patrick doesn't really know how to do things, he doesn't really know how to be a part of life, so when he wants to fuck and he's gonna have sex, he's watching porn. When he's going to commit a murder, he's watching, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he's figuring out how he's going to do things. And, uh, you know, you got that great workout scene where he's just going insane. It's like an alien when Ash is kind of snapping at the beginning of the movie and just jogging in place before everything really kicks off. You've got that little bit of tension to know something absolutely insane is about to happen. And then what happens? He kills a prostitute with a fucking chainsaw. So... He gets experience from immediate things around him. He He's just a shell. He really is nothing and a representation of n- not just the 80s because it's happening now, but this like way too young, way too rich. I mean, I guess it's social media influencers now, Instagram people with millions and millions of followers that make money from taking selfies and eating ice cream that influence entire generations. The same thing was happening in the 1980s, but they just went to Wall Street and wore incredibly nice suits and got stuck in this self-centered lifestyle. And sure, some of them went to prison, and and some of them are probably sell-out millionaires now. But, I mean, I don't know how many right-wing people listen to this show, but I think if you look at Donald Trump and his children, it's just fucking soulless. It's like Quentin Jaws, a doll's eyes, dead black, rolls in the back of your head before it bites you. It's just fucking terrifying. I I see no humanity. I see no soul. And that's one of the most eloquent, beautiful sequences, one of the greatest framed, well-lit, beautiful shots in American Psycho is toward the very beginning when he's going through his whole regime of how he starts his day and all the different creams and gels, and he pulls a facial mask off, seemingly exposing Patrick Bateman. But I think what you're exposed to here is he just took off a mask. And it's another mask, you know, dun, dun, dun. He's got two masks on. Who is he? We'll never know.
0: Well, it's the same reality we're living in now, basically. It's just, it's people who have a perception of who they want to be, and that's what they are presenting, and in no way the embodiment of that personality. Let's put my perfect life on Instagram, not knowing the darkness inside of me, not even confronting it. Let's push all this stuff deep down, and maybe it won't come back and bite me in the ass. Maybe. Maybe. But it always does. The ending of the film is uh, ambiguous to a lot of people. I've never found it to be ambiguous. I didn't understand it at first until I I'm really, really confused it. when I... And, and, and
1: I sit down and I've read a lot of recent reviews of this movie. I didn't go back and check out what Roger Ebert had to say. I wanted to see what the kids were talking about. And everybody thinks it's a fucking dream. And he didn't actually kill anybody. If you watch, when he kills Paul Allen, he took some medication. So it's actually... Uh,
0: well, I mean, the, the scene that embodies the idea most of all is people think he, Patrick Bateman is Paul Allen several times throughout the film, and he goes along with it. Jared Leto might be Paul Allen. Maybe he's not Paul Allen, but that motherfucker is definitely dead. And the reason that no one wants to admit that anybody's dead, the reason everybody thinks Paul Allen's alive, the re, like all these different things... At the end of the day, no one knows anybody else. No one knows who any of these people are. They get confused with each other all the fucking time. And when it gets down to, like, the murders, everybody just wants to cover that shit up. Everybody just wants to make the shit go away. Look at uh, even throughout the 90s with Giuliani as the mayor. He just shipped homeless people out. Here, get on this bus. Now, get the, we didn't actually fix the homeless problem. We didn't fix any of the problems. We just literally covered it up and pushed it out. Hey, the cops, just get really more violent with people. And if you kill them, you kill them, whatever the fuck. So that's not actually fixing a problem. It's just burying problems. And that's kind of the whole point of the ending of American Psycho is, yeah, the motherfucker killed a lot of people. He like He's trying to confess. No one wants him to confess because no one wants anything to interfere with the life that they've set up. No one wants to lose money. No one wants to deal with any of this shit. They just want to go on and keep doing what they're doing.
1: I mean, again, it just goes back to the disassociative nature of how the story is being presented to you because it's not even so much that they don't want to deal with it, but they think it's a joke, and most of it even comes back to, like, that pussy Bateman couldn't do it, so how are you, Marcus Halberstram? He gets key- he constantly, everyone's confused for different people, and uh, the, the movie begins with that same sort of mist that you, you really start, th- you have a really eloquent opening credit sequence, which I, I'm so iffy about them. Sometimes I feel opening credit shots really make movies look like it's made for TV, and kind of lessens the value for me. But I love how American Psycho starts because it, it just seems so violent, and you've got kind of this Alfred Hitchcock feel, and it's blood dripping, and you've got the title credits, and the names are starting to roll, and then it becomes a little bit more elegant, and you find out that it's like raspberry cream, and it immediately starts focusing on the consumerism aspect. But in that sequence, once it finally shows the actors and you're introduced to some people, I think you've got right off the bat, Christian Bale, Justin Thoreau, Josh Lucas, and Bill Sage are all introduced, which they're like the core group of friends uh, within Patrick Bateman's group played by Christian Bale. And they think, the, the whole thing, they keep thinking they see other people. And the very first person that Patrick Bateman mistakes and thinks is Jared Leto's character, Paul Allen, isn't even him, it's a completely different person. So what you touched upon, I think, is uh, the key to this movie. One, it doesn't fucking matter if he killed anyone or if he didn't kill anyone. What matters is he's a psychotic... It's still the person. The entity of Patrick Bateman is still incredibly dangerous. In the novel, he talks about harming people as far back as college. You have a whole sequence where he talks about a girl he let live that he he really went to town with, with a coat hanger he heated up, I think, in Aspen or maybe someplace like Denver. You have a history of him being a bad man and a very exuberant history of violence that Ellis presented to you with his incredibly dense narrative, which I, I like. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I The same things can be said about Stephen King that you could complain about Brad East and Ellis with, and I, I like it on one spectrum and I don't like it on the other. So, I mean... I guess I'm wishy-washy, but I just like the style Brett tends to go toward and I think there's a much more dismal, mundane nature to things when he goes into overtone, but when Stephen King does it, it's like holy shit, what you've been talking about this 3000-year-old wizard that's also a spider that's also a mailbox for fucking 9 pages and I'm I'm so tired. I
0: just want to sleep, Stephen. What? Yeah, like with it's effective as far as what he the point he's trying to get across, but that doesn't make it an enjoyable read is my problem with it. It just makes it a whole lot more of a slog to get through. It completely serves a purpose. It's the backbone of the story he's trying to tell, but it's just like, fuck, this is just starting to get boring, man. I, I think that was maybe his
1: humor angle because I'm a weird fuck and I take Mary Heron's American Psycho over anything to be a comedy. Uh, I mean... It was added to the list because we're, we, we, again, like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, we tried to go through the slashers through the ages. And I'm sure anyone could argue with us, but I just don't think there was a lot better to talk about in the 90s. Do you
0: want to talk about urban legend? How about yeah. fucking Scream? I don't want to talk about any 90s slasher films because on a whole I think most of them suck. This is one actually I can get behind.
1: I'm sure people would like to hear it but I mean at the same time it's just going to be this suck because blah 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 and there's really no point to be negative for no reason. I mean we we, I think have a, a dialogue that is more intriguing when it's not us just shitting on things to be to be honest and even between the the differences between the book and movie that you, there's oh there's only so many diff- uh, book to movie translations that you can really say are perfect and most people will always pick something like no country for old men there's a few differences i think most things that were omitted were on behalf of woody harrelson to be to be quite honest but the way american psycho the film managed to compact some of the ideas that were represented in the book and make them almost comedic but yet horrifying is I mean because the whole thing to me is almost laughable even the first conversation the way Patrick treats people when you're first introduced to um Chloe Sevenew's character his assistant he immediately tells her, I don't like the way you dress, you're you're way too pretty for that, you need to wear high heels, just incredibly fucking sexist, something that you definitely shouldn't have been able to say in the workplace, but still happens today, and, and the character is just this machismo, he's a representation of just a complete false identity, and it's his entire society, it's his entire legion, absolutely every single one of them are miserable, except Paul Allen, because... He seems to be the most handsome, and I mean, I, I, Mary Heron feels that Jared was better looking than Christian Bale. I don't know about that. I think Christian Bale's a sharper looking guy, but he has everything better. He has a better apartment. He has a better watch. He has a better business card. He's, I guess, the head of, of
0: what everyone He's the dreams. alpha, whatever you want to, like, as people, as mo- more modern terms that people are using.
1: But it's just a simple, uh, vacant representation of man. That's all it is. It has no bearing, and all of them are obsessed with it because it's their social circle. It's
0: just signaling again.
1: And it has no real meaning because we don't know at its core who anyone the fuck is. Like, okay, we we have maybe one or two characters that are Bateman's friends and his girlfriend and his mistress. We know who they are, but no one even knows who Bateman is, it looks like, outside of two fucking people. Josh Lucas and Justin Thoreau definitely know who he is, and Bill Sage's character... And his doorman. And, uh, okay, so look, you have a good, actually, continuity with people who can identify Patrick Bateman. Because you have his assistant, you have, like, three of his friends, you have... uh, There's the the, the scene where he gets the, the girl off the street... And there's a friend there. It's somebody he knows. It's actually um, Genevieve Turner, the writer, plays, plays plays this role. Which is, I think, one of the, the most dramatic kills. This is where you've got the chainsaw going down the stair. But that's somebody that knew him, or maybe, again, it's just another part of this whole fugue because he's at Paul Allen's apartment. But she doesn't even know Paul Allen's name, so it, no one matters. When you focus on that detail, and it seems like this is the mistake a lot of people make when it comes to both the novel and the book, you're focusing on all the wrong shit. You want to know who everybody is and why it's happening. If anybody knew that, there wouldn't really be a story. It, there wouldn't be anything good. You're not supposed to know. And But he definitely killed a lot of people. I mean, I, I'll, I'll back that up. It's not a fan theory. Patrick Bateman killed a lot of people. He might not have killed Paul Allen, but he did kill somebody with an axe. Who fucking knows who he killed? He killed a guy,
0: though. I, mean, I think also guy, what's fairly impressive dog. is to take this, this subject matter, which was— A book that people like, it was a book that people wanted to ban for a while. It's a book that people were like, this is just sick. I mean, just how in depth the graphic it gets. And for Mary Heron to take these themes and turn it into a movie that's digestible, it has a fair level of violence in it, but it's not so graphic it's like hard to take. It's mostly implied violence, but it still makes it feel very intense at the same time. But there's not much more than a lot of blood. There's not a, a tremendous amount of gore or anything else. It's mostly just blood splashing around, which is like kind of a feat to be able to present that on the screen and make you feel like you've seen more than you actually have. It's more about the setup and the, the payoff than it is about a, a money shot in, in, in this sense.
1: A lot of the money shots in this movie, too, are accidental. Like when Christian Bale kills Jared Leto, the blood splatter, it wasn't planned to just hit one side of his face. It just kind of happened that way at the beginning of the film where he's taking a piss and is looking into the reflection of the Les Miserables poster it just happened that way. That's there. There are a lot of um, subtle differences from the novel. Like it constantly Les Mis is mentioned over and over and over and over and over again. But when the book was written and the time period of the book, it was brand new. It was it, every yuppie fuck was going to see and talking about Les Mis. That's just what it was about as the whole thing with the restaurant boom and if you pay attention when they're going to clubs, it's Club Kids. It's like James St. James, Michael Alec. They're going to Club Kid discos and doing massive amounts of coke. It's something I love with Justin Theroux's character. If you pay attention when they're doing the whole business card scene, when Bateman opens his, he's... He, you got a gram? Is that a gram? Every, and and Theroux's character is is the whole movie... So intense, like he's blown, like he—he's just doing this perfect '80s, been on coke five days, fucking just hardcore character. And there's, uh, there's a scene in the book that I wish had gotten brought up, where he just kind of goes crazy at one of the club kid bars and disappears. And they shot a scene for it, and it ended—it—it's it, a deleted scene. It didn't end up in the movie, but I think it really represented. Him breaking down and realizing that all of this is just fake and everything they're doing is completely meaningless. and Bateman tries to stop him. He has a little bit of almost jealousy for the fact that he is able to just be able to disappear because at its core, Bateman wants to be caught. He doesn't want to do this anymore, but does doesn't matter because he, it's not even pleasurable. Nothing in his life is pleasurable. We don't you're never given a why. Maybe that's something that bothers people. Why is he doing this? Because he can. What else do you do when you have everything? Drugs aren't his thing. You kill. He, that's, I mean, I'm not saying that's what Charlie Sheen goes out and does on a Sunday night, but it might be. He might hunt fucking short people in his backyard with a thirty out 6 When rich people have untapped means, they find pleasure in the— And I mean, it's not even rich people. If you consider yourself with everything, what do you do for pleasure that's not bizarre, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Pleasure isn't pleasure anymore. I mean, it's almost like Hellraiser. I guess that's the concept I'm trying to dive into here.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm getting way deeper than we needed. It's actually like what's also kind of interesting is you did bring up Les Mis and the fact that everybody is obsessed with Les Mis at this time period. a story and about what, poor people.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a story about poor people. It's a story about revolution and like fucking uh, like going after well, what's, the What's like, the, the big one right now?
1: There's what's the the big fucking political thing? There's some big musical that's about the guy that should have been pro- Alexander Hamilton, the ha- the Hamilton thing. Are, everyone that's obsessed with that, it's the exact same fucking thing going on in American Psycho with them obsessed about Les Mis. Everyone's jerking off and they love the musical and it's so great and it's American and it's a period piece. Did you fucking pay attention to any of it? Did you do, do <laughs> you know what it's about? God, motherfucking damn it, son of a son of a bitch. I mean, I don't know, but these please go vote. Just just go vote. I'm
0: gonna stop <laughs> ranting here.
1: <laughs> just go vote.
0: All right. (laughs) American Psycho got weird. So the other film we'll be talking about is a movie that no one remembers, but I actually really enjoy. I'll let Hank answer this question when it, it gets posed to him, but we'll be talking about a movie that can be no more 90s than it already is. It's the most 90s horror film there ever was because we're talking about D. Snyder's Strangeland. And it's a movie about just a brief plot synopsis. It's about a psychotic piercer who uses internet chat rooms to coax young girls over so he can pierce them and torture them. Yeah, now you got to stop and explain to the audience what an internet
1: chat room is, and go back. Let and... we talk about AOL. <laughs> <laughs> How that worked. MIRC, MSN chats. I mean, God, it, it, it's such a weird. Aim. Well, I mean, just even thinking about the movie, I was watching it the other day, and it's just such a far gone concept because the internet. I mean, even going into when when MySpace started chat rooms just just stopped. They just kind of faded out, they disappeared. There were private servers that were, and I'm sure there still are like forms of chats. But back in the day before social media, that's how everything was. I mean, even before the era of having like MSN Messenger and AIM, you would join massive MIRC chats or I mean there was like host, MSN was a really early one. Yahoo had forums and chat rooms. And it really was the whole Wild West. You didn't know anybody, and you just trusted that profile, that picture. Everybody was faking who they were. Years before the term catfishing, most people were using their brother's picture or somebody cool or just something scanned. I mean, identity theft wasn't – it wasn't even identity theft. It was just you could do anything. I guess what the fear of the dark web is now is kind of what the internet used to be because there really wasn't any – You couldn't find like fucking child porn, but you could fake and be anything. Oh, you could
0: find child porn because that's also what happened in the chat rooms a lot. Was it just became that's where it really started was people trading that shit from chat room to chat room. Because what had the way the chat rooms worked was they were broken into, but it wasn't like you could Google it, you know, you couldn't just like, you know, it wasn't just a thing that like, but it was, it's kind of where uh, forums are at now. And it's the shit, origin but... of
1: goddamn QAnon and how all of this awful, awful internet is. I mean, I think it was worse years ago before there was a lot, I mean, there is a lot more censorship now. There are a lot more privatized websites that have rules as to where the internet didn't really used to have rules and the, the universe this movie takes place in most people, I mean, I would say people over thirty and forty really had no concept about the internet and computers, and that's most of your lead characters. They're they're all very dumb with it, and it's kind of this edgy. Only kids know about it. It's like trick cereal. Fuck off, rabbit. So it's, and, but it really kind of was again, kind of comparing it to something like American Psycho, how it was really representative of its time. What you have in Strangeland is a really kind of a, a fear. Like the internet really is a tool and a terror device in this movie, because even when it came out and when this was sent to home audiences, a lot of people didn't know how the internet worked and you didn't have the concept of how easy it was to steal somebody's identity and and find out where they lived and fucking kill them. And it drives on that, but now it's really kind of lost. And unfortunately, if you're viewing it for the first time and didn't experience that lifestyle and weren't around and on the early internet, you might find it kind of jokey and hokey. but when it came out, when I first saw this, when you first saw it, it was effective as shit. this movie ruled. Strangeland ruled it. It ruled It still there. rules. God damn it. Yeah, it does. And it's uh, the soundtrack kicked ass then. And the soundtrack kicks ass. Now it's, it's just great. Strangeland is fucking awesome.
0: Like D Snyder wrote this movie. D Snyder, of uh, the band Twisted Sister, We're he was having a personality it. shift at that point, And he like was getting into new stuff, not so much in a twisted sister. And he was going to become an actor and all these different things. But I think D. Snyder did a really good job in this movie because it, yeah. it's not so much the script is just great or anything, but I think his performance is actually really good. I think it's fairly effective because he does ha- play this psychotic killer guy who has one liners and he spouts a lot of philosophical nonsense uh, while he's doing it. I was almost at the... Edge of existence and all this like bullshit that he spouts out, but it's actually somewhat effective. And possibly my favorite scene is he's saying, like, it's towards the end of the film, and he's saying all this bullshit of like, oh god, I can't remember how the rant went, but it's using a lot of ridiculously philosophical terminology. And then he just stops midway and says, or I could just beat the dog shit out of you. It's <laughs> just like, all right, fine. Let's dispose of all this fucking crap, and we'll just get down to it. Let's just fucking do it.
1: I'm still on American Psycho a little bit with, with just dialogue, but a lot of the dialogue used in the movie was a translation purely from Brett, Brett Easton Ellis's word. So, you know, when when Patrick Bateman's doing that whole narrative, it's mostly from the novel, and that's pretty much why it's so good but the dialogue comparatively spouted from D is like what people get that deep appreciation of from Rob Zombie movies like the only good thing from Rob Zombie movies being Bill Moseley having the most excellent delivery but in this situation it's actually good dialogue it's actually clever really good dialogue and you can't help your- help yourself but paying attention to D more than anything else in this movie and that's really what drives it and his visualization of this character uh, Captain Howdy that's cool. If if you know what that's from, come on, guys. You know that's cool. But there's and, even a song on the soundtrack by D.
0: Snyder: "Stay away from Captain Howdy." Stay away from Captain Howdy. But his
1: representation is just uh, amazing. And if you remember 1998, if uh, I'd say what 96 to 2004, when new metal was a thing, and no one made fun of you for liking Limp Biscuit. It really embodies just the, like, like epitome of, of cool back then. I mean, it's got, like, that—his character, Captain Howdy, has this half-body tribal tattoo, this, this big, thick black ink, and then it's just crazy amounts of piercing. Back when BME, that webzine, had first started and everyone wanted to get a nose ring and was bitching to their parents about it, it was just— it's, it's, it's such not a, just
0: a nose ring. I got to have a septum piercing. A double zero septum
1: piercing. It's just fantastical, though. The imagery, I think, truly embodies the time period. And again, too, if you weren't around for the new metal boom, if you weren't around in the late 90s, early 2000s, this really,
0: here's if a good If you weren't way. around for the, the whole tattoo piercing culture as it used to be, it's still a little bit this way, but there's the whole um, diatribe in the film where they, um, they're starting to... Get an idea of. We're the modern caveman. Yeah, we're the fucking the tow truck drivers. We are the modern primitives, man. And like all this shit, it's you just know, like all body, right.
1: body art has been, you know, known for thousands of years. And 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 oh god, I'm doing a Joey Travolta. I got to stop myself there. Hey, there there is a whole theory to it, and it obvious is something that D was into, but it was it was making its heaviest surface at that time period, and it really was something to be around for. But so it's very ham
0: fisted in the film. But it's very much a time capsule of that period, of what was going on. I mean, not so much a complaint, but some of the negatives with this is
1: so so much is given to you and just ideas like that there's a lot of philosophy given to you there's a lot of questions raised with Captain Howdy there's a lot of questions raised with the whole familial unit because you're supposed to have this like white picket fence kind of I'm a great cop played by Kevin Gage doing his best Ted Levine impersonation but to the fact that all the characters were just named after him Kevin Gage maybe he couldn't remember his character's name I don't know we're I'm not trying to insult him because he's a pretty fucking terrific actor I mean if you've seen Heat you know Kevin Gage is great he did that that Sage Stallone last house on the left knockoff. Then he just kind of disappeared. He's doing really, really well here, but his fucking entire performance is Ted Levine. Then it just jumps. Everything's very, very jumpy. You're introduced to characters, concepts, philosophy, idea, and it disappears. And it's, I mean, it's not just up to D. It's obvious money's involved here. So not, it's very incomplete. And that's one of the the problematic things with Strangeland as a whole is you can enjoy it. I enjoy it. And it, it reminds me, especially, and this is where I was going with earlier. If you weren't a part of this time, Period, and you're watching it for the first time. Obviously, it's it's not going to connect with you.
0: But it's it, going to be fucking hokey. It's going to be yeah. like, wow, this is what people were. Yes, this was very cutting edge at the time. But it but it is really on the
1: nose. Like if you want to kind of look at a time capsule piece and familiarize yourself with, I mean, I don't want to say this is your and and my culture, but we did live through this, so we we know how the scene was. We know how people dressed. It's pretty fucking accurate. I mean, when they're at the club, I, I, I never found any open self-harm bars, but I'm sure there were all sorts of things culturally in big cities that you could go to. I mean, like, let's look at the Electric Hellfire Club that Clive Barker writes about. I'm sure people were piercing themselves and blood was all over the place. It was a different era and a different time, but it's true. It's how people dressed. It's how people acted. It's how chat rooms were. It's, It's the lingo is albeit cheesy, pretty accurate. Well, we were all kind of cheesy, it, man. It's
0: very ramped up of what those things were. It, it's very arch and very over the top. All these things existed. This this was what all those things are, but it's all very compacted into this movie and just like pushed at the nth degree of what these constant ideas are. And and it's oddly not even really much of a slasher film because Captain Howie never really... In- tends to kill anybody, he much more is about torture. He just wants to torture people by giving them weird piercings and sewing their mouths shut and stuff. The only deaths are ones that he accidentally does for the most part.
1: Well, he kills two people and one's off-screen. So you've you've got Kevin Gage's daughter's best friend and her body is found, and it's grisly. The images are very... I mean, I don't want to say they're pleasing and make it sound like we're sitting here and jerking off at it, but when you're looking at gore, you're looking at horror, they're pleasing. They're done well. It's horrifying. The uh, Captain Howdy sews people's mouths shut. It's just, it, it's something you can remember. That was the poster for this movie. That's what always grabbed me when I saw this at video stores. It was that kind of blue moonlight, and you had this woman's face with her mouth sewn shut, and then back in the almost superimposed was Captain Howdy in red, and then it said Strangeland. And I mean, it just looked like a corn record it looked like a snot record it really was of the time it, it it connected to that audience and that too i think is a real pivotal point with it is is almost the entire direction of the movie really is counterculture and it kind of i mean robert englands in the movie so it definitely comes from the vein of something like the adoration people end up having for freddie Krueger. how by the time it's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three and four. You're rooting for him. You're not even really paying attention to the kids. They're just cannon fodder until your Fat Kodo shows up and suddenly they try and change the entire fucking story on you. But that's that's a different story for a different day. You're you almost like Captain Howdy, and he's got the one liners. He looks cool. His hair is amazing. His piercings are badass. It's it's a bizarre. That's what I was about kinda... to
0: say though, it's like it's kind of interesting because like this movie is highly fucking goofy, especially you know in in two thousand. 20, it is very goofy to go back and look at. But what I do appreciate about it is, like, D. Knight was able to create a very iconic looking character. Like, you could have spun this off into several different sequels. You could have He's turned this wanted into to, a, hasn't like he? a. I mean, a, I've seen on
1: Twitter and a couple other places that uh, I don't know if it was an early attempt, maybe in the early 2000s, they wanted to do a Strangeland sequel or they wanted to do one more recently. But, I mean, I would. You can have so much dumb continuity with Jason coming back and Michael Myers coming back. I don't care that we see Captain Howdy fucking burned to death at the end of the movie it's sequel. I give me Strange Land two, but I I really you got to put like corn in the soundtrack and Manson. I don't think Limp Biscuit. Maybe a Pod. I don't well, know. Limp we'll Biscuit check it wasn't
0: out. on the soundtrack because I had the soundtrack. There was no Limp Biscuit. There was Head PE. There was Snot. There was I think Cold Chamber was on there. Jesus Christ, this is very 1998. Um. Uh, the Clay People, a band that never went anywhere. Uh... D Snyder, Seven Dust,
1: Megadeth, Pantera, oh, Anthrax, Snot, Day in the Life. God, I forgot about them. Holy shit, I've not thought about Day in the Life since, like, 2004. Cold Chamber, Bile, Marilyn Manson, Soulfly, Head P.E., uh, Eminem and Kid Rock, Skip Track 13. That one's awful. Clay People's Track 14, System of a Down, Nashville Pussy, Crisis, and Twisted Sister. So everything but the Kid Rock track, I mean, I don't have a problem with Eminem, it's just the fact that it's fucking... No, Bile,
0: that was a good industrial band that never got, it's Just
1: Do, goddammit. I was a Cold Chamber fan, I liked them. I I liked the very early System of a Down, they also appear on the Blair Witch 2 soundtrack, Book of Shadows, a soundtrack that Probably is superior to the movie, although I I do have a passion. I like that movie. God, the early two
0: thousands produced some all right jams. We're some old. okay ones. <laughs> I will not stand by Cold Chamber though. I had two albums of Cold Chamber, and I just uh, they were just never very good. Snot's they the just best. weren't. The track
1: especially that's on this movie's soundtrack is Absent. It's one of the goddamn hardest songs that Snot put out. That's the, it's
0: actually the best Snot song, I mean, for my personal It's opinion. amazing. It, it's a really, really,
1: really great song. It's a shame that Lynn Strait died so young. Um, and again, it's just, if you, if, if you and I, I don't want to like gatekeep here, if you're fucking 20 years old, and blah, 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 but if you are, you really might have a problem relating to this movie because even us just discussing it brings back, you know golden memories of fucking smoking mexican brick dirt weed out of a mountain dew bottle with your friends listening to snot like yeah i remember that i we lived through that and uh it, it has that flavor, so it really does kind of... You watch this movie and you can just taste resin from 2004. and <laughs> <laughs> Drinking warm beers with your friends you stole from their dads and thinking you're kind of cool. It It's very, very nostalgic. But that aside, you can completely strip that away and you should still be able to have some appreciation for the development of Captain Howdy, the development of the, the Kevin Gage character. They try to give you a formidable... Story. There's a a little bit too much plot over story going to the end of the movie that's just... It it gets in the way, but...
0: It just seems kind of pointless because midway through the film, they catch Captain Howdy, and he goes to treatment, and they put him on drugs, and he's in the the loony bin on drugs, and then he becomes this nevish, kind of ridiculous character that the... Like, once he's released from the Sane Asylum, he's taking his pills, and he's just, I just go to the library now... And they try to pull a Madman Mars on him and lynch him, and it completely makes him go off his fucking rocker, and now Captain Howdy's back. It's like, why did they catch him midway through? Well, the through? movie
1: like speeds <laughs> up all of a sudden because they make this clear point to show that his medication gets damaged and that he's been applying makeup to hide his tattoos and has taken out his piercings. Then the hanging goes wrong, and he ends up surviving. And suddenly, he's got waist length red dreadlocks again. His piercings are back, all the tattoos, and it's all because his medicine was destroyed under the wheel of the car. I, I, I don't, I don't. It's not like I'm asking for anything more. It's just you went from. It just seemed kind of pointless. It doesn't really add anything to the story. Well, you skipped half the story. I feel. I mean, you went, you got to like A, B, C, D, and then you went from D all the way to Y, and we just end briefly after that. And it's not the entanglement at the end doesn't really pay off i don't I, I don't even really want captain howdy to die at this point he's i mean it's he's almost an opposition of patrick bateman because bateman you i feel you're worried about you watched this movie american psycho and to me it makes me it gives me fucking anxiety. It makes me think about everybody I know. It makes me think about the 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 soulless consumer nature of how uh, much I try. But it to makes fit you in. think
0: about what people are hiding, and and strangely, Captain Howdy's hiding nothing. He exactly, is who yeah, he
1: is. I mean, it's he's out there. He even he's an embodiment the cops. of
0: every like kind of painful fucking exhi- exhi- exhibition of his internal fucking anguish on the outside. Patrick
1: Bateman wants to get caught, maybe not so much to stop the harm, because he is very venomous. He is, he is poisonous, and he wants his pain inflicted upon the masses because he doesn't understand it, and he wants everyone to suffer because of that. Captain Howdy has managed to master well, yeah. that. You know, he's, well, he's turned that into almost a weapon, and he has unleashed it uh, on people as to where Bateman is, is afraid of his power. You worry about Patrick, and to me, I think a lot of the consumeristic ideas of American Psycho... That's, that's where the anxiety comes in for me because, I mean, you, everyone, but I, I realize, oh, my God, I've, I've been trying to fit in, and I, I don't have a self because I've tried to do this, this, and this, and you start realizing that you, everyone, wears a mask. Everyone has this concept that you're something, but the way I, Alexander Nash views me, I will never know in my entire life, no matter how, long, how hard I try to present myself. As something to I Alexander Nash, I still won't ever fucking know how that dude sees me. That concept is universal because that, that's that's the fear Bateman has. He just wants everyone to see his monkeyism the way he does, and that's just. Well, you actually raise work.
0: an interesting point with that. Is because like Patrick Bateman is a shell of a human being that is inflicting pain on others and like just basically wanting to destroy whereas Captain Howdy is an expression of himself it's all out on the open it's on the outside and he's honestly trying to free people and get because he's always talking about crossing over it's to the abyss and to all him. this shit he, he's trying to release people from a Patrick Bateman like state throughout the film i mean he is still a villain because it is all non consensual but To him and his inner fucking self, he's doing a positive thing for these people. He's actually trying to release them from their, you know, societal norms and their societal like costumes and masks that they wear. So these characters kind of diametrically opposed to each other, actually.
1: But at the same time, they essentially are just yuppie hunters, uh, and, and they're both opposed to the same concepts. They want to destroy the same thing. It's just how they both go about doing it. One is very internal, and one is very external. And I, I again, I mean, I keep going back to goddamn American Psycho, but I think that's what makes it almost beautiful. I think that's the articulation is how cowardly Patrick truly is. But that, too, uh, shining a light on Strangeland is is how beautiful it is because the character is just so masculine so in your face I love when D Snyder says at one point you know I've not been afraid of anything my whole life I just want to die and sure it sounds like some drab 14 year old goth bullshit but it's the delivery it's the mannerism it's how he manages to to just scare you and it it Captain Howdy's scary he conveys fear you want to play ball scarecrow <laughs> There's just something about D. Snyder.
0: I, I really enjoy D. Snyder because, like, even at this period in 1998, um, like hair metal had become a thing of the past. It was basically the the punchline of a joke. And the way D. Snyder kind of reinvented himself in this movie, and without particularly reinventing himself, he's still the same like Hesher rocker that he always was. But I always had an enormous amount of respect for him, just because. Even back in the day with Twisted Sister, he wasn't going so much for the glam look as he's going for like almost like a shock, shock rock type situation that kind of turned into a glam sort of thing, just because of the time period. But just overall, Dee Snyder has always been able to be an interesting character in um in popular culture. And really, I mean, he hasn't like reinvented himself and reinvented himself over and over again. He's always kind of stayed himself. But by staying himself, he's always been somewhat relevant. He might not be selling, like, millions of units of records, but he's still, like, interesting character and just relevant in cultural in general.
1: Yeah, so all in all, I think we picked two pretty awesome movies for this week. I, I, I'm sure you can sit and pick out the faults in them, which plenty of people have with American Psycho, and there's a great deal of hate for Strangeland, and it's just... I really think a lot of it has to come down to people not having been there.
0: It has a lot to do with just the time period and as I was just discussing earlier with Dee Snyder, that at the time this movie was made glam metal and like hair metal was the butt of a joke but at, in this time period fucking new metal and rap rock and all that shit is a joke now but it's just that's just the way time works. It'll come full circle again, and that'll be somewhat interesting to a younger youth base.
1: You have a very, very successful representation of Fright, I think, with Strangeland, and that's something a real horror fan, a true horror fan could appreciate. And I mean, that's it at the end of the day. It's a good horror movie. American Psycho, debatable if that's a slasher, but goddammit if it's not good. If anything, you took anything from this episode. Read some Brett Easton Ellis. Read American Psycho if that's your introduction to this man. It's pretty good. I think that'll do it for this week. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Stay tuned for Death by DVD's Five Days of Halloween. It's exactly what we did last year, but it's not Children of the Corn. Thank any god you pray to, it's not Children of the Corn. We'll be back. Next week on Death by DVD. A new episode will be available every single day until Halloween. Frightening, splatastic, putrefied new episodes all about slasher movies. Beginning October 27th death by dvd's five days of halloween
2: death by dvd is recorded in front of a dead studio audience
0: Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced.
2: The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. The eventual blessing in disguise to come out of the Iran Contra mess. And I like death by demon. It's a statement. But even after admitting this, there was no catharsis. My punishment continues to elude me, and I gain no deeper knowledge of myself. No new knowledge can be extracted from my telling. This confession has meant nothing.